UX Podcast Episode 196. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Per Axbom. We've listeners in 178 countries, from Uganda to the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And today we're doing something we haven't done in a fair while. We're doing a topic show. Yeah, and this time the topic is accessibility. Mm. Which means that it's just you and me today, James. It is. How's that going to work? <laughs> Accessibility is is one of those topics which we've we've mentioned. I mean, in a lot of shows, maybe not every show, but there's a lot of times accessibility comes up. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we've never had a show dedicated to to the the issue uh, or the topic at large. Mm. And we've had some people actually reach out and ask us, "Have you done an accessibility show?" And having done over 190 shows and not done one on accessibility actually surprises me. We've done niche subjects around it, but we haven't done the topic topic of accessibility since we started in 2012. Yeah, we've deep dived, yeah. we've, we've not paddled in the water. Yeah. And, and that's despite the fact that um, you've done plenty of talks about accessibility mm. or even workshops, and, and I too have worked mm. with accessibility issues during the years. And that's the thing, I think. I actually started doing accessibility talks back in 2000. That's 18 years ago. Oh, you old man. I, you can find them on SlideShare if you don't believe me. And it's <laughs> just sometimes I get so frustrated because we've been talking for it for so long. And I go to these meetups sometimes, and I see people doing essentially the same talks that I did back then, which means that the way we are supposed to do accessibility hasn't changed that much in, in these years. And still, people are not implementing it. I think what you've hit upon mm. there is both the the the, the curse mm. and the blessing of the medium we work in. Mm. The 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 web, the or you know HTML, mm. is so fantastically robust. Mm. You can you can do it in so, you can build stuff in so many ways. You can really really break web pages or, or HTML and it still works yeah. it, it, to it, it, you know, it still does something whereas if you, you know, break other bits of code they fall over mm. so I think there have we have the, 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 the essence of why we have so much problem with accessibility is that we don't have to do it for things to work Exactly. You, you you can't just by looking at a website you don't even know if it's accessible or not but it's also a testament of course to really how young our industry is. I mean, yeah. in in these 18 years, the number of people going online and the number of websites online on the web, of course, has increased exponentially. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of people out there who don't even know what accessibility is about. Yeah. Which brings I mean, us they, to the topic of what is it? <laughs> yeah, what what is accessibility? <laughs> and I mean, intentionally, what, I did not write... Uh, any notes about what it is in our notes here because I wanted us to think about it. We've worked with this for so long, we just said. Yeah. So, But what the hell is it? Well, I said, we, we haven't even talked about this before the show. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah what is accessibility? I mean, for uh, for me, it's... I mean, 
this, this is a kind of a, a bit of a dichotomy with accessibility. I mean, there's the, there's the more formal definition to what, what it means to me is that, you know, not, not, um, not well, inclusion, not excluding someone from the, the, the things we create, mm. um, making sure that it's, it's possible for anyone to use things. Whereas, because, you know, I've been working with this for over 20 years, I instantly think when I think of accessibility um, about the challenges to do with getting it implemented mm. that you know almost every this almost every single time you work with it it's something you have to fight to be done yeah rather than something that we live to uphold that's very well put i think that's sort of the sadness of it because i did those talk 18 talks 18 years ago and i sort of lost hope i think i lost mm. hope for uh, a lot of years and then i found some souls uh, in our networks who are so passionate about this subject that I realized I'm now finding my way back and, and understanding that I can still be passionate about this. I can find the ins of being someone who actually is an activist talking about how important it is to think about these issues. But I'm also trying to understand at the same time, why are so few people implementing them? And I think that's where I can contribute by, under, by helping to understand why are organizations not thinking about accessibility? But back then, if you had asked me what accessibility was back then, you'd, you, I would definitely have used the word disability because uh, World Content Accessibility Guidelines, which we'll be talking about today as well, was designed to think about how people with particular disabilities can actually use the web. And I think that when we talk about that, most people think about visually impaired users. So people who use screen readers, and that's when when people say accessibility, that's mostly what you think about. Yeah, and that's mm. not surprising mm. given the 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 visual nature um, of the early web. Mm. As it, well, the, your instant response is that it's not surprising mm. given it was very visual. You were reading words mm. and so on. And I'm still in meetings but, where where I can say that people use screen readers, and and peop some people can actually be surprised by the fact. Are, they say that uh, are there blind people who use the web? And they're surprised by it. And for hmm. me, that is what actually was the appeal of the web to me, that anyone could use it. Yeah, hmm. exactly. It is that medium that unifies us all. But, um, okay, but with disabilities, if we talk about like the, the problem, think about why, again, why is this such an issue? Why have we not managed to get over that, uh, that little barrier in the beginning to kind of just become natural? Is it down to the fact that it's it's like I said in the intro there it, it's it's too easy to do stuff anyway, mm. or is it is it organisations that don't have an, a high enough or broad enough perspective on this? So that's it's twofold I think actually because it's because to do something about it you have to be aware of it, and there are so mm. many people who are not even aware of it. And I think where we have failed a lot is in education. Whereas you and I are not educated in this industry because the, the roles we have didn't exist as, as educational programs back then. But now people are actually educated interaction designers and developers. But accessibility is rarely part of those programs, which is just blows my mind. Uh, mm. It's happening now. It's, it's happening now. I see, I see I'm engaged in some programs as well where people are actually talking about this. But then there's the fact that we are treating accessibility as something different. So from an organizational perspective, it, it's like, yeah, and we also have to think about accessibility. Now, if accessibility was a part of 
everything else as it should be, then there would be no discussion about it. This is an excellent point. So, okay, I was I was about to ask you, kind of, okay, what are the kind of um, disabilities or accessibility um, areas mm. that we should maybe think about or be aware of? Mm. But I'm actually going to flip the question and say, before we get into that, name some of the um, the benefits of accessibility for people without but you know, disabilities or accessibility issues. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people today don't realize that they are using lots of tools that were originally designed for people with disabilities. Uh, yeah. And the earliest one I can think of now, top of mind, because I tweeted about it the other day, was uh, one of the earliest typewriters was made for a woman who was blind so that she could write letters. Hmm. Uh, I mean, and even the remote control for your television was made for people with disabilities. But then everybody hmm. realized, wow, I can use that. And then we moving on to more communication, digital medium, subtitles, captions on movies and films. Everybody uses that. I turn them well, on. Was... When, the, when the kids are asleep and you want to turn down the volume, yep. you have the captions on because you can still have a little bit of sound on to get the feel of the movie, but you have the captions on. I mean, the captions were not originally made for me, of course, but I can benefit from them. So I see accessibility as a driver of innovation. I mean, if you think about the needs of people that uh, traditionally we see have disabilities, their needs are m perhaps more pronounced, but it's needs that everybody has. Yeah. So if you cater I mean, to those needs, you're actually going to build something that's so much better for everyone. Yeah, I mean, we have, I know that um, I've, I've heard being brought up as an example, uh, accessibility talks and so on, is the, um, the example of a, um, a parent carrying a, a newborn child. Mm that when you're carrying your newborn child, it's very likely you have, it, have the child in one arm, meaning that you're, you're temporarily one-armed. One mm. You can't do things with two arms, two hands. Right. Um, and I mean, I, you know, now when we're, we're the age we are and need reading glasses, um, I, you know, I've been zooming in on, on um, not just mobile screens. Mm. I've been zooming in on web pages at a certain time, depending on the size of stuff, yeah. to help me read it. I, I, mean, I, never, I never considered, 20 years ago, I probably didn't consider... The fact that I had glasses was was would create a, a need for accessibility, mm. um, but it makes complete sense. Um, even contrast, there are certain pages where I can't I can't read certain contrast. Exactly. Um, not because I am colorblind, mm. but because some contrast on some web pages is just really really terrible. And there has been trends of sometimes having gray on white, and uh, I mean just these font uh, fonts with just they're so thin you can hardly see them. It's just crazy. <laughs> but so, yeah, so but actually, that's a, um, what you were talking about now is interesting because that's one of the big differences of talking about accessibility back in the day and today, actually, is that people are more talking about. And I think that's actually a lot of thanks to Microsoft there for, with their they have an accessibility document where they also have cartoons where they talk about the permanent, permanent disabilities, mm. temporary and situational. And what you said there was the example of the, the woman with the baby on her arm. That's I didn't use woman. I said parent. Gotcha. Ah. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And that's an example of a person then being one-armed in that yeah. particular situation. Uh, another example of someone being deaf, perhaps, is a bartender working in a loud space. And he, he, he's then deaf in that situation. Someone mm. who's sick and has a sore throat is actually someone who has a mute in a temporary situation. So... 
everybody is disabled in a sense sometime in their life in different situations and uh, once we realize realize that it's it becomes so self-evident that yes accessibility is about designing for everyone and it would be much easier if we didn't treat it separately yeah i mean even the even the the writing we do that i mean when i was learning swedish having having a simpler version of swedish Oh yeah, made websites more usable for me. Of course, yeah. um, because you know, I, I just, I just mm. could understand it mm. more. Um, and again, I'd, mm. I probably years ago wouldn't have thought of that, mm. um, thought about that as an accessibility issue. Mm. Um, you know, the content was the content on the mm. page, but but the fact that we could actually put that little bit of effort into uh, pitching the, the the words to the right level, mm. so that people, you know, so we, we're inclusive with how many people can understand the words on our screens. Yeah. So now I'm going to return to your original question, what types of disabilities? Because now it makes more sense once we've talked about that. Because now if you talk about the disabilities that people usually reference is that, yes, you have the visual disability where you, people actually, they see nothing. They see a little. And this is something that people don't realize. Even if you are legally blind, usually you actually have uh, some uh, field of vision. Uh, I can't remember the exact figure of the field of vision for being blind. but. Or you need glasses, like you and I, and and that's also, of course, a disability. But we have corrective lenses means that we have actually eliminated the obstacle in in a large sense with that disability, and that's what we're doing when we're designing for the web. So we're we're eliminating obstacles. The other one would be auditory, like uh, deafness, or even having an auditory processing disorder, which means that in certain situations you have a real difficulty. Uh, differentiating between words. Even though they're spoken clearly, some words are difficult for you. Hmm. And then there are motor skills, which means that uh, you have difficulty in muscle control. And there are like specific illnesses like dyspraxia, or you can have cerebral palsy, uh, or, or it could be even something that's temporary then. You're, you have uh, your arm in a cast, and it, it's really hard for you to move it around. And, th and then there's the cognitive uh, issues where you have a language processing disorder or even you don't even speak the language. Uh, and one of my favorites that you and I have I mentioned to you before is dyscalculia. Yeah, I, was, I was just thinking of that, yeah. Which essentially means, you know, dyslexia means you have trouble reading words. Dyscalculia means you have trouble with numbers and figures. Uh, so people with dyscalculia, of course, there's, there's a scale here, there's difference, but they traditionally have a problem with understanding numbers and volumes and telling time because there are lots of numbers involved. So if you tell a person walk uh, 300 meters in that direction, 300 is a really difficult concept for them to grasp. So that means to help them with that, you can actually visualize things. So dice, uh, like playing dice for board games, uh, those are really helpful alongside numbers because they actually have the number of items you're talking about visually represented. So those are easier to understand for them. So just thinking about those ways in which you can convey information in different ways will help so many people uh, and it will help everyone and that's the point yeah I mean I've when we get on to kind of like oh, do you want to move on to practical issues though I mean like where where do we actually start when it comes to to, to creating better or more accessible websites and products mm. and I think that's where we're helped by uh, by web content accessibility guidelines which I think the first one was released, when could it have been, 1998. And this is WCAG? Yes. Which gets referred to all the time uh, in accessibility. Yes, and sp some people say WCAG. Uh, and it's the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium, who, who brings us all these uh, 
guidelines to help us navigate the web. They have guidelines for HTML uh, and other stuff as well online. And this is specifically as it was made uh, for people with uh, disabilities or ability divergent people because that's also something and when you talk about accessibility it's some people don't like to be called disabled so it can be very sensitive so it's an issue of understanding what people want to be called as well because some of these communities such as specifically i know the deaf community would never uh, refer to themselves as disabled for example yeah. they're just they just communicate differently yeah but would you but would we actually start is is the actual starting point diving into wcag doesn't feel like it. Oh. I don't think I would recommend that to someone getting into this. Not as a not as a, the starting point. Or no, that's when, it, cause, that's cause, when you've identified the problem. But you you're talking about understanding what the problem is. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like I mean, if looking at the formal mm-hmm. specification for WCIG mm-hmm. and and the the area mm-hmm. as well, I mean it's it's not for the light-hearted. Reading those documents documentation mm-hmm. is not it's not something you do kind of like to oh. To fill up a few minutes, light-hearted read. <laughs> it's not like sitting down watching a Netflix comedy. Um, That's very true. So I think there's there's got to be something. There's got to be another way in. That's more, um, oh, not palatable. That's not the right word. But um, a little bit, a little bit softer start, I guess. Well, what happens when you you give a course or do a talk on these subjects? Of course, you start often with videos. You show people using the internet specifically screen readers, but you show other examples of people having a hard time using a mouse. There are people who actually navigate uh, almost via mind control, using only their finger to navigate for input devices. There are so many things that you can show that actually gives people this aha moment of realizing, wow, there are so many people out there using the web in a different way. And then you, you tell people, if you design the right way, all of these devices that people use will just work. They'll just work because you're following standards. And as long as you're following standards, it will work for everyone. So it, so it's essentially about creating that empathy, but also compassion for people who are struggling to use it if you do it the wrong way. Yeah. But then, so, so what we're saying here then is if you, if, you, if you code your things according to web standards, most things are, a lot of things are hunky-dory. But that means that we're saying that accessibility is for devs. Oh yeah, because it's all mm. about it's all about doing HTML right. It's all mm. about putting ARIA. We've not actually talked about what um, what, what ARIA mm. is, but it's all about putting the right you know HTML code in the right places to get accessibility to work. You tricked me into that one, didn't you? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's interesting because. Uh, that's also something that's a huge misconception that you can actually then you code right and then you can test if the code is right and you can check that off and you say okay so my site is is accessible there are so many aspects of accessibility that are not testable uh, uh, yeah the judgment calls yeah by uh, automagically because some some things are about like the font choice that we talked about before it's really hard for the for the computer to know if that font is readable for you that's something you actually have to bring someone in front of the screen to look at to understand how they perceive the information on it. Yeah. Exactly. And there's, mm-hmm. a, there's other aspects of, of WCAG, which is talking mm-hmm. about how um, like error messages have to be understandable. Yeah. Uh, so that whole judgment call about, mm-hmm. is it understandable? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and like you were saying, I mean, things written in simple Swedish in the beginning for you, that was mm-hmm. much easier for you. And that's something that you would only have, you could only test it. You would only know by testing if it works. Mm. Uh, so a lot of it is about actually bringing people into the design process that can help you understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So it's so it's not just about devs and developing mm. and coding. Mm. Then the, the, we've got there are a, a number of of what we would class as, as UX aspects to um, um, to accessibility. Ah, so now you're explaining why we actually have this topic on a UX podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that, mm. that we can't mm. just we can't just um, sit here and say do good code mm. and you're you know you're all going to be okay. No, exactly. Um, we've we've got to think. Um, beyond mm. that aspect, mm. and I think if we say that it's a bit of a cliche that um, some people think that it's a dev problem, then I think you can also extend that and say perhaps it's a bit of a cliche to say that UXs are then doing color because oh, I've, yeah. I've, I've kind of come across both mm. of those aspects yeah. that you know the, the code is the coder's mm. job there, mm. of course, and then UX have to just choose the right contrasts. Mm. Um, which yes, we do have a responsibility, I think, to 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 choose the you know good color combinations mm. um, and and offer choices of um, of of color palettes, um, which right. I think is something we still don't do often enough. Is, mm. is give some flexibility in websites to um, to allow mm. um, high contrast versions. I mean, the, the BBC used to have some excellent. I don't know if they still do, um, but they used to have some excellent opportunities to um, to choose a really high contrast version. Right. Um, if you really want to be pushing something right. there. Uh, but so, yeah, so people latch on to those things and they, they say also, I mean, everybody says, oh yeah, you mean you work with accessibility, you mean alt alt tags. And people think yeah. about, oh, you need to have image descriptions. Uh, yes, you do, but that's like a tiny, tiny part of what we're talking about. Uh, there are also descriptions for like, for example, a button. So some people actually use voice to navigate. And sometimes the label on the button isn't the same as the label in the code for activating that button, which it should be according to the new guidelines actually released in, in June, uh, which specifies how, how that actually must match. Because otherwise it's really confusing for someone navigating with voice if the label they're reading on the button and they say it and it doesn't activate. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's the WCAG 2.1 yes. standard that was released this year. Um, and this uh, this is actually a really good point, though, that we we have this marriage between dev and UX. That if if we if we come with a, a suggestion of a layout or or, or a pattern, mm. say for example, you're going to use a I don't know, I'm going to throw um, a, f- a fill a, a drop down you can filter by by writing to a box. Mm. So it's it's a drop down, but you can write in it so that it reduces the number oh, of items. Oh yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. Now that kind of design design decision has quite an impact on what code you have to develop, of course. And a big clue there is actually you're, you're going away from the standard of how a drop-down works. Yeah, but we, we get a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on us um, to, to come up with novel solutions mm-hmm. to, to um, um, design problems. Yeah. Um, and you know, drop downs. There's there's a huge number of drop downs, mm. different variations of what is effectively a list yeah. um, activated by a link. Mm. Um, and those UX decisions. So when we've decided that we're going to implement a certain pattern, mm. that then has a massive impact on the complexity 
um, of your code and and how challenging it will be to maintain code standards and and following um, following some of these uh, IRA or HTML5 or mm. so on to make it as accessible as possible. Yeah, exactly. So I think, and that, that there I, I think is um, a big challenge for us because straight away you've got, how do you get a UXer to have the understanding about the the, the implications of some mm. of the design decisions, which seem so trivial maybe at the time? Mm. Well, again, it's it's about awareness. It's about understanding. As soon as you go away from HTML standards, HTML standards, like you were saying, extremely robust. Uh, it works uh, across everything if you do it right. Uh, but also, I mean, you can you can make a lot of mistakes in HTML code, and it will still work, like you also said. But there's mm -hmm. that awareness of how code works. I think UXers need it, and this is the ah, it's such a debate. It should de designers. <laughs> Co know how to code I'm saying no they don't no, need to know how to code they need to know how the code impacts the experience Yeah, they need to understand that what they design on screen may work extremely differently code wise and make it extremely complex mm. that, that's an excellent point too because um, if if you have the fortune to work with someone who's very good mm. and maybe or very aware of the coding standards mm. around ARIA, ARIA and and um, um, HTML5, then perhaps they don't even need to to ask you or talk to you about the the design decision you've made. They can just yeah. implement it mm -hmm. because they can actually. Mm. They're so good with using ARIA to to enhance the code mm. that they can get your pattern to to work. Yeah. <laughs> I say I say work. I mean, oh, but effectively they could make it accessible, but it would be complex code. It would be. Mm maybe costly to manage in the future and you maybe weren't aware of that at all because you had a good dev and on your team such an excellent point yes exactly whereas mm. maybe if mm. if you sat together mm. with the dev mm. and then you could see mm. the complexity of the code depending on what decision you've made mm. maybe then that could cause you to double mm. think and say okay maybe we can maybe we just have a link and a drop down here or mm. maybe a link and a list or maybe we just have a list yeah maybe, i don't know this this there's maybe a dialogue there mm. that we need to be we need to be better at having openness between those two sides so that we we don't just make we're not just making things more accessible we're reducing the complexity and that should be something something that we really really appeals to us because yeah. normally reducing complexity is a is like a ux tick box it's one of those things that gets us going completely yes and and this is an excellent opportunity to reduce complexity and i think i think actually something has to be said about progressive enhancement as well that was something it was hugely popular to talk about a few years back that you actually mm. You make the simple solution work for everyone, and then you add stuff that will make it better for the people who can interpret that information. You can add even more stuff for the people who can interpret that information. But the basic one, the basic solution should always work for everyone across the browser, even back to Internet Explorer 3, because uh, mm. why not? It's, yeah. it's completely possible. It's pretty much it's all just words and links. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, <laughs> One thing I also want to mention when you've mentioned that drop-down is light boxes or modals. Uh, that's something oh. that's hugely difficult to do right. Uh, and it's something that I see a lot of interaction designers just add on to their designs because it's such an easy solution. So how do I make the user confirm? Yeah, I add a modal window. Or I need to add an extra information and then for, for clicking an information icon or something, add it in a modal. And what tends to happen is that... Uh, uh, the interface reader, which could be a screen reader or whatever, 
that is trying to interpret information loses its place where it was. It doesn't know if it has to start reading in that box that just appeared or in, uh, some screen readers stay behind the box and just read what is happening behind the box, which means they're completely losing context. Uh, and what, so what you have to realize is that there are many ways in which a modal can go wrong. Uh, and that means you, you need to test for it. And sometimes you also need to think about how can I do this without a modal? How, couldn't I just go to another web page? Yeah, uh, I've, 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 I completely agree, and I've, I've seen that too. That some of these, some of these um, um, component libraries, they, they look, they're very cheap, and you can like just insert whole kind of yeah. features into your website just by, just by clicking a few buttons, mm. um, and they do things like they inject code mm. in into the page um, live, depending on what you do. And you click a drop down, it injects the list mm. right at the bottom of the page, and depending on how well they've implemented other aspects of 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 the, the the accessibility standards the screen reader is never going to find it yeah or it's it's just it's it's just going to be complete audio audio mess yeah. to, to to read out but you got the drop down included really quickly in your code so that's a good thing right it looks like the designer wanted it and you could move fast and <laughs> people will be happy because you did it really quickly and visually it looks awesome for for most yeah. people so I think mm. that's that's also there. It looks good for most people. Mm. That's um, we've had the whole. We've talked about this before on the show with the um, the the eighty twenty rule. Mm -hmm. um, you know they should make it work work well for eighty percent and kind of don't worry so much about the twenty. And we 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 talked about this mm. a huge amount in our um, Eric Meyer interview mm. um, a year or so ago, um, where you you shouldn't be. You can you can maybe play with this rule working for the majority when it comes to a feature. Mm that you can decide that you concentrate on a feature that is used by like, you know, 80% or 20%, but you shouldn't be using that same percentage thing for, for, for humans, for people saying we'll implement this because 80% uh, of, of, of people mm. are, are able to use it. Yeah. And this uh, is actually ties to what I said on Twitter the other day, where I'm just so upset with people asking for numbers on, well, how many people mm. does this affect really? And you could read between the lines and you're realizing, so if I, what, depending on what I answer, they are going to say that we can't uh, design for just 1% of our users, uh, which is just an awful way of, of looking at how, what humans are. Those people are looking for an excuse to argue that it's too costly to design special solutions for that 1%. But it's never a special special solution the way I see it. It's always something that will benefit everyone, always. Because it will also benefit even searchability, uh, the way it, your information can be tagged and, and found by others. It, it always benefits everyone. And I, I'm going to stop actually talking about how many people have a particular disability because that's just not relevant. Yeah, because mm. it's not, mm. they see the features, mm. like some of these things we've talked about, they're not features. Mm. They're part of mm. the standards we should be following. Yeah. And this is, again, back to what we said at the start, that in some ways I wish that HTML broke a little bit more easily. <laughs> yeah. Because then we'd have to mm. follow the standards. Whereas it's mm. so robust that we don't. Mm. So we have these conversations mm. about, ignoring that or ignoring mm. this because it's you know no one uses our product mm. of a screen reader uh, no one no one who's kind of you know blind or deaf uses this and so on um yeah but um i wonder uh, have we got some kind of do you want, should we actually do some some really properly concrete tips now to, to, to come towards the end part of the show mm, yeah 
Uh, depending on what you mean with concrete tubes, because I know what I want to talk about. <laughs> well, no, I, well, okay. I mean, I, I, for me, if I if I want to, shall I spit out some of my own yes, concrete go. chips? Then? Yes. If you've got your own list, and I've yeah. got my little list. So, I mean, this, for me, we've already mentioned many times now mm. in this show. Um, follow code standards. Mm. You know, always HTML5 fix with ARIA when needed. And then we've also talked about earlier about how you know you said about kind of understanding, so building up that kind of empathy and understanding for for some of the situations that exist mm-hmm. out there. Um, and I think one good one good suggestion there is to use um, a try with Funkify. Oh yeah, good which one. Which is a Swedish um, developed um, bookmarklet for um, your browser, and Funkify simulates um, a number of different. Um, challenges i guess yeah. when using the the web from from shaky from shaky hands to kind of blurred vision and and, and so on mm. a very good tool to kind of get some understanding um and you can also download um a screen reader or even a, a plugin for your mm. browser that mm. pretends to be a kind of screen reader or is a mm. kind of screen reader screen reader so you can actually experience maybe how really awkward it is to use your product or website with um audio only yeah. and keyboards Never rely only on colors. So you check your contrast and text size and, and have a clear semantic structure for your pages. Mm. When, I answer, when I get asked the question about where do you start, I often say headings. Oh, yeah. Because headings um, or that kind of structure, mm. I think you can make the, the biggest, quickest impact of, of improving your um, accessibility. Mm. That's such a good um, point, and because when you backing up to when you said where you start, I mean, you start with the small things that create a huge impact. That's mm. what you always want to do, and headings are a great example of that. Yeah, and then moving on mm. for that, if mm. you've done the headings, mm. you probably at the same time can mm. do um, do a bit of tweaking of the words. Mm. So you write write great headings, mm. write great labels, and explain things clearly. So my um, my list is not as practical as yours. <laughs> oh well, there we go. <laughs> because it's around because I'm as you know. Uh, very much thinking about why do people keep doing the things that actually hurt people or harm people. Uh, and we tend to think about sometimes, and what helps me sometimes is I want to be on the right side of history because people with disabilities have been treated just awfully throughout history. And going forward, I'm thinking about how can I make sure that people in the future looking back and how I was performing my work, how can I ensure that I won't be looked upon as being on the wrong side of history? Mm. And that was, that's what makes me, helps me think around, I have to push harder to get these issues on the table, to have the company I work for actually make it a focus to understand that they need to design for everyone and not just specifically for people who are considered society, uh, like normal in society. It's just crazy. Mm. And, and thinking of that you always have to start by thinking about well, so what does that even mean to me being on the right side of history so it means so now i'm talking about introspection this is about you as a designer have i even thought about what that means to me mm. and then what do i need to know then so now i'm actually motivated so what do i need to know to be able to act within, the, within those boundaries and that's what's going to help me move forward and help mm. me voice my opinion in meetings and sometimes i think we should allow for people uh, working with development to actually say that okay, the meeting decided to go forward with this solution, but I actually want to say that I did not agree with it. The majority agrees with it, but I just want to, for the record to say, 
I did not agree with it because I can I think it can hurt people. Mm. So I think the discussions you need to be having inside your organizations to start with, if there's something you want to start with, is actually start talking about what in our organization is preventing us from designing with accessibility in mind. What is it that is preventing us? And how can we listen better to people being impacted by our design choices? Next time you get asked to put down put uh, um, only three of these left on your website or book in two minutes to keep your place, say no to it because it stresses people and it may not be as accessible as you think. Yeah. I just I don't know. I've just threw that example in there now about the scarcity. That's but, really good. But it's one of those things. But but that's what comes from you know inside organisations. You get this kind of like how can we make people do things more. Mm. So yeah. so we quick we quickly get we quickly get from from accessibility uh, through to kind of like you say the understanding of 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 what it being on the right part of history I suppose mm. but also um, you know, persuasion. Mm. You know where where do some of the techniques we're using for persuasion actually impact on accessibility, both cognitive and you know it's not just the classic disabilities. We've also got you know all of us are uh, are impacted by some of the, the cognitive persuasion techniques that are used out there. Right. Or even dark patterns. Mm. And I think the people who are most impacted are the people who are already marginalized. So they yes. have the most to lose, and they are losing the most because of exactly. decisions we make. Yeah, it will be amplified. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Uh, as always, links and notes from this episode found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, um, then, um, well, we've got a couple of episodes to recommend for you here. Um, we've trawled back in the archives and we have got a, a chat um, that we had um, about comments for all, which was, um, was accessible um, feedback or comments on yes, websites. Really good. Um, that was back in episode 72. We have accessible infographics. Um, which was way back six years ago in episode 31 where we talked to um, Derek Featherstone who's worked a long time with accessibility and has done a lot of good things over the years for accessibility. Oh, I remember that show. Wow, that was a long time ago. And finally, a third one. Episode 152, Shortcuts, where we dive deeply into making keyboard Mm. shortcuts. Mm. How does that work? Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Wooden shoe. Wooden shoe who? Wouldn't you like to hear another joke?